Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Today is Take Heart Part 3 and I believe this is going to bless you today. Uh, I believe God wants to set some people free. And so we have been in this theme, Take Heart, and uh, Pastor Steve preached an amazing word. I watched online last week and uh, watched preached an amazing word. And uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this series. And I'm going to tell you, basically, Take Heart has been saying the same thing over and over again different ways. And I hope that you're catching that. It's the same thing. It's the same message demonstrated in different places in Scripture uh, so that we can really lock in and catch this. This is Take Heart Part 3. We're going to go to Psalm 27. Verse 13 through 14, it's been our text for the series. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I want to just ask this question. Are you confident that you will see the goodness of God while you're still alive? Are you confident that you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living? And if you are, this is how you do it. It gives us this blueprint, and we saw this in in part one, that I will wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Excuse me. Excuse me. And choking up here. And uh, I swallowed my tongue. That would be bad. You know, you have to give me CPR up here. Uh, It says, wait for the Lord, and it says wait for the Lord twice, which is really interesting, which means... That there's something to this. It says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. And we said this in part one. Don't make a determination on your outcome too early in your fight. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. You know what I always hated growing up is when preachers would drink water in front of you. Because I would always get thirsty. I'm like, you know, that looks really nice. And it is. It's actually, it's really nice water. It's, It's room temp. Feels great. Uh, don't make a determination on your outcome too early in your fight. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 and 22, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I preach it all kinds of different ways, but today I want to pull something a little different out of it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 through 22, it says this, Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith, whose faith? Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. I want to take this last part of Take Heart, this series, Take Heart, and I want to just dissect this story. And and I want to pull something out of it and and bring some observations that maybe you haven't seen before, maybe you have, but maybe from a different perspective of this story. Because I preach this story, and I love this story, because this this story talks about in the other Gospels that this woman made her way through the crowd. It says that she'd been subject to, to a condition that caused bleeding for over 12 years. It was a feminine condition. It was a personal condition that had bleed. It was bleeding from the inside, but it was showing on the outside. This woman pressed through the crowd. She pressed through all of the opposition to get to Jesus, to lay hold of his 
the hem of his garment. And, and this is what is interesting. In the other Gospels, it says that Jesus asks the disciples, who touched me? And they said, well, Jesus, a lot of people are touching you. There's a whole crowd around you. And he said, no, someone touched me. And I'm just going to show you this. Is you can be close to Jesus and not touch him. You, you can sit in this room and you can worship Jesus and, and you can be here and, and you can be a part, you can be a member, you can go to connect class, you can lead a group, but you cannot touch him. Because touching Jesus is more about intention than it is proximity. Because many people were in close proximity, but there was a woman who had great intention. You can rub up against Jesus, rub shoulders with him, walk beside him, walk through life with him but not knowing. This story is interesting because it talks and it speaks of the, the phrase that we've been looking at, take heart, and, and I want to talk about it today again. Take heart actually means to cheer up. It, it, means, it means to cheer up. I was in uh, Washington last week and in Seattle, and, and uh, we went to a Seattle Mariners game. Now, i got to be honest with you. I'm from Seattle. Uh, I have stayed true to the Seahawks as long as I've lived here in, in Dallas, nine years in enemy territory, and I'm, I'm surviving. And I love the Cowboys. I just love the Seahawks more. And, but I will tell you this. I have not been a good Seattle Mariner fan. I just, like, I'm tired of being disappointed. And I actually said this in my dad's church last week. I was watching. It was the first inning. My dad's like, we're going to go to a Mariners game. It's going to be amazing. And I'm like, oh, we're going to watch them. Try again. And so we, we went up and we had these seats and we're sitting there. It's a beautiful night and the sun's setting over the city of Seattle. It's the first inning. And first inning, it's playing the Anaheim Angels and, and they score three runs in the first inning. And I'm going to I'm gonna be honest with you. This was my thought. Here we go again. Here we go again. Seattle baseball for you. Here we go again. This is why I'm a Fairweather fan with the Seattle Mariners. Here we go again. And I'm going to tell you what I did. I made a determination on the outcome of the game. And we talked about this in every single part too early in the game. And I made a determination of how the game would end up before the game was actually over. And we talked about this in part one. We part, talked about this in part two. And now we're wrapping up and we talk about this in part three. Is that the enemy's strategy is to get you to make a determination on your ability for victory before the game is actually over. And I'm sitting up there thinking, I better get a lot of snacks for this game. Because that's about the only thing that's going to be enjoyable about the next three hours. Is the fact that I can eat stadium food. In beautiful Seattle weather, sunshine, and to watch some baseball, great game. Uh, but, but I really wanted to see a win. See, what I think happens with people is that they get almost conditioned to lose. Be because when you try something and you lose, or you mess up, you try something and you fail, you get conditioned to losing. Now, this is the wild thing is someone could look at you and they could see success. Because being disappointed or being discouraged does not mean you're disappointed or discouraged in every area. It just means in some area, you have got stuck. That's why people look at you and they like to be you. That's why people see you and they're encouraged by you. That's why people see your life and they're jealous of what you have. But they don't know 
what you've been through. And they don't know the places where you consistently fail. They don't know the secret habits, the secret patterns, the secret battles that no one else knows about that have caused disappointment. See, I, I, was, I was a Seattle Mariners fan all growing up, but I was disappointed so many times that I'm kind of like there when they're winning, but out when they're losing. And some of you, you, your assignment in life is just like this game. You're there when you're winning, but you're, you're absent when you're, when you're losing. You've lost the tenacity to hold on to what God gave you. And I'd like to go back to our statement verse and just say this, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, cheer up, and wait for the Lord. We said this in part two, and I want to show you this one more time because it gives us context for where we're going to go in our last moments. Discouragement broken down is this, dis, which means failure, courage, which means heart, and mint is when a verb turns into a noun. Which means that something that you were supposed to walk through got you stuck. Something that was supposed to be a bad day turned into a bad week, turned into a bad month, turned into a bad life. And that's why you're where you are. And you're happy on this side, but on this side. Or maybe you're like the woman in this story is that now the pain has gotten so bad that what's on the inside is actually starting to show on the outside. See, that's where life gets difficult, isn't it? As long as I can keep my battle internal, I can be all right. But when my internal battle starts to show on the outside, I start getting in trouble. Just, just yesterday, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this, just yesterday, I had a really bad day. I'm just going to be honest with you. I had a really bad day, coupled with a really bad attitude. Now, you didn't know that until I just told you, because I'm authentic, transparent, but you had no idea in, in, until I told you that. But, but I'll, I'll tell you who did know, my wife. She knew. She knew from the moment I woke up what kind of day it was going to be. And all day long, I'd like to tell you about an hour in, I just, just kind of like snapped out of it and said, take heart, Dustin, cheer up. The Lord is calling you. And, and went about my day. I didn't. I did what I always do. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling a little down. I'm going to go work out. Go work out some frustration. I'm going to go spend some time with Jesus. Did both of those things. Came back still mad. So I went and went to Jude's soccer game, got worse. We, we even went out and evangelized with the Wiley team, invited people to church, passed out cards, bought people donuts and coffee, and, and, and it got, got worse. By the time I got to the evening when Jamie's having a wedding shower at the house for a friend of ours, and there's like 400 ladies swarming our house, and I'm trapped in the room with my two boys. It's getting worse. <laughs> then it's like nighttime already, and I know I have to preach today. And I'm like, I really should get my attitude under control. And, and I've texted Jamie like twice, both times I'm gone, like, hey, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to snap out of this. Like, take heart. I'm trying to practice what I preach. And I'm, I'm getting to, it got worse. And you know what I'm going to tell you is that you can be great on one side and you can be struggling on the other side. And the problem is when the internal battle begins to show externally, you know something's wrong. And I was beginning to affect people around me. Y'all didn't know, but anybody at my house did. 
Whitney knew. She, Jamie said, she texts her. I know, I know, she t- you text her. Dustin's kind of having a bad day, right? I'm like, okay, cool, you all know. That's awesome. I love it. Discouragement is where you get stuck in something you're supposed to walk through. Now, I say all this to set up. Now you got to get ready. Buckle your seatbelts because now we got to go. I said all that to say this is that God is calling you, and no matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the bad day is, no matter what the failure is, no matter what the attitude is, to take heart, to cheer up, and to begin to move on. This story of the woman with the issue of blood is amazing to me because what she had separated her from the people that she loved. The issue of blood ruled her and labeled her unclean. And as an unclean woman, it kept her from the people that she loved. And I'm going to tell you this, it also kept her from the temple. What she struggled with kept her from the church. Her addiction, her problem, her dysfunction kept her from the place where she could go to get help. She had suffered, the Bible says, for 12 years. She had spent everything she had trying to get better. The Bible teaches us, scholars believe she was a very affluent woman. She was wealthy, but she spent everything she had trying to get better. Sounds like America. Spending everything we have trying to find a fix to something inward that's beginning to show outward. And we've got a problem. This woman, she's struggling, but this is what's really interesting to me. Her condition kept her from the temple, but it didn't keep her from Christ. It kept her from the church, but it didn't keep her from Him. See, this is my concern sometimes with the church is that that we feel like we've got to, like, Keep all our inward problems inward so that we can come to church. And instead of being authentic, we just cover up whatever bleeding we have so we can walk in, shake hands, give hugs, and go home and be the same. But the woman, when the inward started to show outwardly, she had a problem because she couldn't hide it any longer. And when the church wouldn't accept her and when the temple wouldn't accept her, she said, I got to get to Jesus. And I pray that our church would have wide open doors that anybody that has dysfunction and anybody who has disability and anybody who has any type of struggle because they're just like us would find open doors to this house that they could find Christ here, that they could find him, that they could receive from him, that they could receive their healing from him. She pushed through the crowd, the Bible says, and she touched the hem of his garment, which I think is interesting that she actually didn't touch him She touched what was on him. The Bible says that Jesus had to be anointed by the Holy Spirit just like we do. And when she touched what was on him, the Bible says that the blood began to dry up. I'm going to tell you this. You don't need need just another person. You need what's on that person. There is partnership in the kingdom of God, and we need what other people have. There's something that's on Pastor Ben. There's something that's on him. It's not him. There's something that's on him. When a word ministers to you, it's not me. It's something that's on me. When, when the worship ministers, it's not them. It's something that's on them. The woman touched not just a man. She touched what was on the man, which was the anointing. The anointing, the Bible teaches us, breaks the yoke of bondage. All of our doing, I want you to hear this because we've been talking about all the things that we need to do, right? The last couple weeks, we're talking about all the things we need to do to overcome. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Cheer up. All the things you need to do. 
But all of our doing will be in vain if we don't see Jesus correctly. Now, what I want to do is I want to pivot on this story, and I want to talk to you from the last moments together. I want to talk to you from the perspective of what Jesus did, not just what she did. We know what she did. She pressed with the crowd. She grabbed the hammer. That's amazing. But I want to talk to you about what Jesus did. Because I think what Jesus does illustrates part of his personality, part of his character, and part of who he is. And if I know and have a perspective of him that's correct, then I'll operate correctly in my own life. The first thing that Jesus did, which I think is amazing, is that Jesus turned towards her. Now, if you know this story, the Bible says that Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus, his daughter, was 12 years old and was sick. The woman the issue of blood had been sick for 12 years. This girl was 12 years old and had gotten sick. And now she's there, and Jairus comes to Jesus and says, you got to come to me, come with me, because my daughter is sick. And Jesus says, I will. Jairus was an influential Jewish leader. He had it together. He was known. He had significance. And so Jairus and Jesus start See, a lot of people came to Jesus, and Jesus healed them there. Jesus actually is going to Jairus' house. It's a big deal. So Jesus and Jairus are walking down the road, and that's when the woman has the audacity to interrupt Jesus. This woman, this despised woman, this unclean woman, this dysfunctional woman has the audacity to interrupt Jesus when he's on his way to someone that's really important. But when he felt the touch, I want you just to catch this because this could be really encouraging to you in whatever you're facing. When he felt the touch... Did you know the Bible teaches us that the touch was all that she needed to be healed? Her faith healed her, and when she touched, the blood dried up, and that's all she needed. Jesus could have kept on walking, and she would have been healed. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus never stops at the outward condition. He is always, he is always concerned with what's happening in the heart. And so Jesus not only stops, but he turns. Now, if you know this condition, any type of blood... People had to stay away from. This woman was unclean. But Jesus didn't let her uncleanness keep him at a distance. He turned. And I just want you to know, this is who Jesus is. He stopped and he turned towards her. Don't think just because Jesus is touching someone else that he doesn't notice you. He notices her. Jesus had time for an interruption. People think, well, man, why would you interrupt Jesus? Because if you know the rest of the story, the Bible says that while he stopped and talked with the woman, Jairus' daughter died. I'm going to tell you how how God works in opposition. What's a greater miracle? Jesus healing a sick girl or Jesus healing a dead girl? But we get mad. When Jesus doesn't show up on our timeline and something gets worse. But maybe God's just setting you up for a bigger miracle. Maybe Jesus already knew he was going to raise the girl up. It took the same amount of power to heal her as it did to raise her from the dead. Jesus wasn't intimidated by the issue. It is us that don't really know him and are intimidated by the delay. Jesus stopped and he turned towards her. Jesus had time to be interrupted. It's good news for us is that Jesus has time to be interrupted. The second thing that he did is he didn't just turn to despise her. He turned to see her. Jesus saw her. 
Studies show that when people are going through major bouts of depression or discouragement, one of the greatest helps to them mentally is knowing that someone else sees their pain. They say that's, that's one of the greatest helps if you're struggling with depression to know you're not alone, to know that someone sees what you're going through. What does Jesus do? He turns and he sees her. No, he didn't just observe her. He saw her. He, he saw through the mask. He saw through the pain. And he had compassion on her. His heart broke for her. He sees who we are and he sees what we're going through. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a lady named Hagar, and Hagar uh, gave birth to Ishmael, and, and, and Hagar, through a series of events, she is, is, is cast out of a camp, and, and she's running kind of for her life, and she feels very despised, and throughout the Old Testament, God would reveal himself, reveal different traits of his character to different people. So he would, uh, he would um, show up in different ways like El Shaddai. He would uh, show up in different uh, characteristics to teach people about who he was. And to this woman, the Bible says, God appeared to her as the God who sees. If you're walking through anything, struggle, opposition, you just need to know that not only has Jesus turned aside to see you, but he actually sees you. When we think Jesus sees us, we think that means that he sees our, our, our pain or sees our mistakes. He sees how we're unqualified. That's not what he sees. He sees our heart. And you can see this as the story unfolds is that Jesus wasn't looking on her. He was looking into her. And we think, and Christians, it's easy to look at someone. But Jesus looks into someone. That's why he dealt with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery the way he did because all the people looked upon her. Jesus looked into her. That's how Christians should look. That's the vision we should have is we should look into people, not on people because we all have things that were once inward that were now outward that people can see. We'll all go through ups and downs, but we have to have the ability to see like Jesus sees. Number three is Jesus spoke to her. Look at the character of Jesus beginning to shape. He turned, he saw, and then he spoke. Now this is interesting because what he, what he said when he spoke is very key. Because this was a woman who was unclean. This is a woman who was despised. This is a woman who should not be where she was. And what Jesus says to her is he says, take heart. This is our series. He says, take heart, daughter. Now, we learned two weeks ago that when he talked to the man that was paralyzed, he said, take heart, son. I just want you to know this, is that Jesus, this is how much he loves us, that he will call us son or daughter way before we ever call him father. That's how much he loves us. He is not waiting for you to get better before he accepts you. He is not waiting for you to get your behavior in line before he receives you. He is not waiting for you to be perfect before he anoints you. He's saying, I see you. I've turned aside to see you. I'm calling you. And he speaks to the greatest insecurity of her heart, her separation. And he says, you're not separated. You're my daughter. When Jesus said this phrase, he spoke to the greatest insecurity that was in her life, her acceptance. 
Because I'm going to tell you, whatever's showing outwardly is only a condition of what's inwardly. But what shows outwardly doesn't accurately depict the battle that is inwardly. Because sometimes what's raging inwardly doesn't show the same outwardly. Because they thought it was a physical condition. Jesus knew it was a spiritual condition. If it was a physical condition, Jesus would have kept on walking. But it was a spiritual condition. So Jesus stopped and he began to talk. When I was in Washington last week. We, we, I went to work out one morning. Cam was there. He spoke to the youth. And so we went to this, this place. I'm not going to say the name of it because they have some around here. And I don't want to, like, diss it. But I walked into this place uh, to work out. And, and, and it's like their, 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 their motive is to make everybody feel welcome. That's their motive, okay? So in doing that, you walk in the doors and it says, this is the judgment-free zone. That's what it says. Like, okay. And, and, and it says, no critiquing. And they, they have all these signs, like definitions of a lunt. If you ever heard, I don't know what a lunt is. I, I read the definition. As I'm reading it, I'm realizing I am what they're describing. They said, no lunts allowed. And it's people who wear cut-off sleeveless shirts to show their muscles and grunt when they lift weights. And I'm like looking at it like, is that me? Like, am I a lunt? Am I not? In their attempt to make everybody feel welcome, they actually ostracized anybody that was actually in shape. I'm feeling not welcome in this place because they tried to make everybody feel welcome, but in making everybody feel welcome, they ostracized other people. So let me just, let me just, say, it, let me just say it this way. Let me just say it this way. I'm in there, and I'm lifting, and I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm trying to do it quiet. Like, am I, am, I, am I too loud? Because in the judgment-free zone, it seems like there's more judgment. Than, do, you know what, do you know what I've noticed about church sometimes is we like to put big signs up, big, bold signs saying what we are. But in doing that, we actually ostracize someone else that actually has an issue. We're like, we don't judge here. We don't judge here unless you're that because that's not welcome here. And I wonder if sometimes people walk into our church and they look around and they say, everyone, they say, they say everyone's welcome. They say it's okay, but I feel like what is not welcome is me. And I think when anybody's inward condition begins to show outwardly, that's, where, that's what you feel. And that's why Jesus took the time to stop, to turn towards her, to speak to her. And then we know this from the story is that he healed her. He healed her. It says that Jesus actually didn't heal her. Her faith healed her. It was God's power, but it was her faith. And this is what we've been talking about in Take Heart from the very beginning, is that you have the ability to flip your day, your life around. When things look difficult, when things look hard, when things look like it's just more of the same, you have the ability, Jamie teaches our boys this, you have the ability to turn your day around. And you turn it around by not just 
doing, but understanding what he did. And when you understand what he did, it gives power to what you do. When you know that Jesus is not judging, but he's smiling. When you know that Jesus is not condemning, but he's welcoming. When you know that Jesus' eyes are not shut and his back is not turned, but he has turned to you. He has opened his eyes to you. He has welcomed you. And he's speaking to the greatest insecurity of your heart and of your life. That is when you know that you're about to cheer up. It's interesting to me that I don't know if she knew that she would be healed when she touched him. But she had the faith to try. She had the audacity, the courage to try. The blood on the outside was evidence of something wrong on the inside. See, most wounds, the blood... That the wound is seen on the outside and the blood. But for this woman, this is personal, it's graphic, but this blood came from the inside. A lot of wounds people can see that happen on the outside. But there are some wounds on the inside. And when the inside begins to show on the outside, you've got problems. But we also have a Savior who loves us and sees us. And I want to speak to somebody who thinks that their problem is too small to make Jesus stop. And I want you to know that he'll stop for the smallest thing. He'll stop for the smallest touch. No matter how important the man he's walking with is, no matter how anointed someone else seems, no matter how much it seems like God's blessing someone else, he always has time for you. Psalm 31, verse 24, it says this, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you, in the message paraphrase translation, I want to read it to you again because I think that this is the accurate definition of take heart. It says in the message, Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. I love that. I love that. Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. All the things that I've got to do have to be coupled with everything that he's done. And when I see what he's done, it gives power to what I have to do. Be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. I've got great news for someone today. You are God's welcome interruption. You are God's welcome interruption. You are God, maybe you're watching online. You are God's welcome interruption. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 says he gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I do know this, is that Jesus sees you. He's turned aside to see you. 
And when he speaks to you, he's not just saying a patent phrase. It's just, just something that he says to everybody. He's speaking straight to you. He's calling you son. He's calling you daughter. He's calling you exactly what you need to hear. And he's going to heal you. He's going to heal you from the inside out. Do you know she had to be healed on the inside for a little while before it really showed on the outside? And I'll just tell you, sometimes that's how it is when you walk through discouragement or you walk through disappointment. Is God has to heal you on the inside. And it takes a little while before it shows on the outside. And that's why we have to go back to the scripture and we have to take heart and wait for the Lord. Take heart. I feel like I'm talking to somebody in this room and you've been stuck for way too long. I'm telling you, God sees you. I might be talking to an intern today that you just have felt like you have been so overlooked and so disqualified by things that have happened. I'm talking to you today that God saw fit to send Jesus not to pass by you but to stop for you. That's his heart. That's the heartbeat. And if you miss the character of God, you will only do and do, you'll do what I did yesterday and it will all be in vain. But what I needed to recognize yesterday is that I had a God over here. That was turned towards me with love and compassion in his heart. I said, come on. Come on out of that. Come on out of that. Come on out of that. I'm healing you from the inside out. I'm healing you from the inside out. You could be one of two people today. You could be the woman that has something on the inside that's showing on the outside. You could be needing to just get desperate and get to Jesus. Well, let me throw one more at you as we close. You could be Jairus, who had to stand there as his daughter was sick and watch Jesus heal someone else. I don't know which thing hits you today, but I do know this. Whether you're a woman with the issue, a man with the issue, you have an issue. Or you're the man standing by watching Jesus minister to someone else while something inside of you dies. Can I just read it one more time? The scripture of our series, I remain confident of this. You know what Jairus had to say? He was a study. He was a studier of Jewish law, and he studied the Hebrew language. He probably knew this psalm by memory. I remain confident. land of the living while the life slips from my daughter's life I remain confident I want this woman to get healed I want this woman I remain confident of this I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living wait for the Lord be strong and take heart and wait Jairus wait 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 because God's not done with you it's the first inning it's the second inning God's not through be strong and wait for the Lord come on Jairus wait for him I remain confident of this I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.